Hello and a warm welcome back to the Happy Hockey podcast. My name, as ever, is Peter Thomas. I'm the head coach and founder of Happy Hockey. And my guest today is senior engineer for Huddle, uh, Rob Blankson. Rob, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Pete. Thanks. Nice to be here. Yeah, good to have you here. Um, thank you for coming on. Just a bit of background. I've, I've known Rob for quite a while since we went to uh, university together and uh, got back in touch a few weeks ago. Um, just to invite him on the podcast. In fact, off inadvertently, off, off your birthday, I believe it was, was the reason that I... No, I... Anyway, um, <laughs> I... I uh, so, as ever, the Happy Hockey uh, podcast is made up of two halves, just like a game of hockey. Um, in the first half, we're going to hear from Rob about his journey to senior engineer for Huddle, a, uh, a game uh, analysis software company. Um, and then in the second half, we're going to hear from Rob also about how the other sports that he's sort of got himself involved in over the years, almost off the back of hockey, but also uh, in particular AFL and a summer alternative sport to do when perhaps you've had enough of your seven, eight months of running around a hockey pitch, but still keeping yourself fit uh, and mentally engaged and playing a, a team sport. Um, the halftime this week will be me just sort of highlighting the opportunity to get back out there and explore uh, stuff physically, uh, mentally, emotionally, perhaps given that the restrictions are starting to ease across the country. Um, and then we'll finish with, uh, as ever, um, asking Rob for his three sort of key takeaways from what he's learned on his journey so far. So um, that, as ever, is the format for the podcast. Uh, but Rob, sort of over, over to you. Where did this, so the journey to being a senior engineer for where did that all start for you? Um, I guess you've got to go way back in terms of how I even got into it. Yeah, so I I did electronic engineering at university. So a lot of people sort of wonder what that is. Basically, electronics really is just the, the transfer of information. So we use it every day. But um, on that degree, there were kind of two ways you could split. And you could kind of go to the power side, uh, which is what people tend to see or the communication side, which interested me most. And uh, right. as okay. part of that, we had in the school a couple of software modules as kind of ancillary to how you deal with electronics. And they really interested me um, to the point that actually you can build and write in code things that will end up being on a printed circuit board inside a, an electronic device like a phone or something like that so those were the really interesting modules but I, I was sponsored by a company um, for my final year at university and ended up working for them for two years it was based in Stevenage and again I ended up it was electronic design but ended up being kind of involved in the software side of electronic design now it wasn't actual software development so I, I had no formal skills or training in that uh, but it, it's something I liked but the 60 miles a day round trip was killing me. So I ended up looking for something a bit closer in London. Um, and one of my friends had suggested a, just joining a grad scheme because that's what everybody does, nice and easy to do. So I ended up at Deloitte. Uh, I found a grad scheme where they were taking people into the glamorous world of tax. So tax technology is actually where I spent a lot of time. But what they did is they were an acquisition from... Anderson, and they built tax technology software that was used within uh, Deloitte, and then they sold out into 
companies outside. So I basically ended up getting informal on the job training of how to become a software developer there. So kind of we started off with here's a product we use, learning support, start getting into the code, taking small bits. And it kind of grew from there. We were then sold two years after I joined Deloitte to Thomson Reuters uh, to become, I guess, more technology focused, more of a software house. So 40 of us were picked up, transferred over. And then I spent six or so years at Thomson Reuters sort of really getting into the software side. So actually learning the products, building my own parts of products, integrating around the company. Um, and yeah, I really made some good friends uh, at Thompson Reuters and Deloitte. I still go skiing and snowboarding with them now. Um, so we've all kept in touch and they're all in software as well. And a lot of them kind of taught me the way to go. And then, yeah, after that, I moved to PwC. Um, I guess it's four years now ago that I moved just for a bit of a change. Um, I was there for two years, again, helped them build a new product in the market, which gave me a bit of travel. I got to go to China and Dubai, um, working still in the glamorous world of tax technology. There's a link back to universities as well, in that universities were using the product that we built. And then mm -hmm. finally, I sort of had enough of the finance world. I actually then applied for a job that I didn't get, but Huddle use internal recruitment. They don't use external recruitment. And there's um, it's quite an interesting concept I found out about of internal recruiters at companies have a network where they will share good candidates, as it were. So I applied for mm. company A, didn't get that job, but the internal recruiter there was sort of semi-surprised. So he asked me if it was okay to put my name on this network. He put my name on and out of the blue, I suddenly got a message from a guy called James at Huddle asking me if I was interested in interviewing for them. I'd never heard of Huddle, like most people hadn't. And so I looked it up and I was extremely surprised at why I hadn't heard of them because of what they did. It basically married my, my two mm. biggest passions of sport and software. So um, yeah. yeah, I was suddenly like, okay, this is absolutely my dream job. Why have I not been working there? So yeah, basically did everything I could to to, to get in I, I was a I wouldn't say necessarily a struggle to get there but I they're very forefront in technology and one of the reasons I was looking to move as well was kind of finances it's not backwards but it lags a lot so there's a big skills gap that I was missing in a lot of web technology that I didn't have so I ended up basically joining Huddle on the, the um, basis that yeah I had to upskill within six months and catch up to where I was which I managed to do and then yeah, just basically worked through that. They've got good training. And it was December last year that I went through the interview, uh, sorry, the promotion process. And that kicked in this year. So I got promoted to, to senior engineer. And that's where I am today. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting, isn't it? How you, because I remember you talking about doing the coding when we were at uni all those years ago. Um, and yet it's now it's still one of those skills that people talk about as something to get into. In fact, you see it even on social media adverts, don't you, about how big it's getting. But you sort of very much were at the forefront of that when it was starting. So a really interesting route that you took. from. The yeah, beginning. it's and that's the thing, I guess it's kind of a, it's probably a spoiler alert. The key <clears> takeaway <throat> is you, you, you eventually end up where you need to be. And I didn't take the most direct route. I didn't do computer science or 
which is typically what you'd expect. No. But actually, a lot of people I've met yeah. haven't, and they're still really good developers. So it's just more. So one of the things that helped me get the job at Huddle, despite my kind of skill discrepancy, was my passion for it and the interest. So I did stuff in my own time to upskill. So I've um, mm-hmm. got a couple of side projects. I do websites with friends. I've built wedding websites for a couple of friends, things like that. So clearly I enjoy doing it and I would do it in my own time. Um, so I guess it's like anything. If you if you enjoy something, you don't mind spending your time doing it. No, and you, you naturally spend, you, you, without even thinking, choosing to spend your time there, which shows an employer um, you know how how engaged you are in what in what it is they're asking you to do for for money. So, yeah, it's a, a an interesting one. And also in terms of huddles, so um, certainly for the hockey listeners out there, I think we discussed this before. Game Breaker is that right? Was that either one of theirs or something that they that the company now owns? Yeah. Right? So Huddle's quite an acquisitive company. So. Um... Game Break is something I've seen around. I don't know exactly where the kind of changes are, but ironically, I've, I've moved on to a product called Sports Code, and that's the big one. I believe that is now what people would refer to as Game Break or understand as it. But Huddle split right. into kind of two main parts, as, as they define it. You have elite and competitive and competitive falls mm-hmm. more on kind of the college basketball and, and American football and things like that. And that's very web-based, whereas elite falls into your more professional Premier League, AFL, even hockey analysts who have their Macs, they code up the game. They're doing things live, communicating with the bench. And so that's effectively what Game Breaker is. It's If you imagine you've got your video, people go through, they add their tags to say what was going on and perform their analysis based on that and yeah so i've been very lucky in that i've ended up tripping into that side of the market which is quite interesting and the the hockey kind of angle on that is i've i do a bit of dog fooding myself as we call it in the industry so trying out our product so i um record a few of the richmond hockey men's threes games put it up onto huddle see what i can do with it um and see how well hockey plays with our tooling and the stuff that we've got there i do know um that there are some big big teams i know england hockey have used it before and kind of other um clubs use sports code so it's just just trying to grow it in the market really yeah and that's where i remember it from it was an england hockey tool as it were when a while back probably again when cinema's coming to the end of our university time when i was getting into starting to get into the coaching that it was it was something that was presented to us as perhaps the future and this is what the, the national coaches are trying to start to use although at the time it was a while ago it was quite big and, and because of how much was needed and, and this the the last lack of power of the machines yeah but um the basic principle sort of made a lot of sense even then of course you can it was the as you say the breaking and the the tagging so that you can then if you want to look at penalty corners you've tagged all the penalty corners and you can click penalty corner and it will show you those sort of breaks in in the video rather than having to just manually trawl through everything just to find those individual bits so yeah it was a it was a big it was a great idea back then it was just waiting for the technology to catch up so and and in, and in terms of just coming back to you though in terms of what what do you find the teams are in are after from you guys what what are their focuses um i guess it 
does depend on sport. So I, the markets we're going after at the moment are football and basketball. So I haven't spoken too much to the hockey side, but a lot of it is, is analysts have very little time. So you'll see it on some of the big documentaries that are on TV, but basically you'll have all these well-played players, all these coaches and things like that. And then maybe for hundreds of players, you'll have one analyst who has to break (laughs) all of these things down. So the, the very simplistic thing is just make their life easy and don't make them have to repeat things. So what, what we're working, what I specifically am working on at the moment is we've got a couple of products that sort of talk to each other, but the workflows have a bit of friction. So you think um, a video is ready. It's been uploaded. Now I have to go and get it, download it. Don't know what connection I'm on, things like that. Then I do my work. Then I've got to move it up and, maybe actually someone's come to me before a game 20 minutes and said, go and get me all those penalty corners as you were, if we use that example. Yeah, yeah. And it takes me 15 minutes to get to a place where I'm ready. So as an analyst, I've then only got five minutes. So what they really want is I, I don't want to have to do that. I, you, you know, the video's there, you know, I'm going to have to do this at time. Just have it ready for me when I open up my Mac there so I can just start working. And right. that's the biggest thing. The other thing we have though, is we, um, kind of the bigger ones we've got a whole team out in India who do some of the breakdown for us so that kind of automated breakdown where then the analysts can go and add their additional flavor so it's called huddle assist so if you think the video goes up these analysts are trained to break down specific sports so identify the key areas but what you won't necessarily understand is the style that you're that they have so they may want to drill into more specific bits so again it's kind of making their life easier and then giving them the tools that can that can do that but definitely time is the biggest thing analysts don't have and need oh that's interesting yeah is it strange with all that money and yet and yet there's the number <laughs> the small number of, of people doing all of that background that's interesting and in terms of do you see much difference between the sports in terms of what they're or afterwards, yeah. Yeah, you do. I mean, that that was quite a funny thing in terms of, it's a bit more obvious to us, I think, in the UK, but in terms of Huddle's journey, um, the way the tools were originally done. So it was built for American football, and so everything was based around that. And then you look at American football and you realise the game is played completely differently. It's lots of discrete plays, yeah. so it's really easy to break down. So then mm. they evolved and said, okay, maybe sports are more like basketball. But basketball still doesn't quite have the thing. So that you then um, have what we call V3, which is a flow sport. So sports like football and hockey that aren't discrete, that don't stop, that keep going or are very quick. And so actually the requirements for being able to break down and pick things out in flow sports is different to basketball type sports or even American football stop start type sports. So what you, what you then find they need is just how to break things up is, is the simplest bit and um, how they analyze the video or how they view the video. Um, but things are starting to kind of come together and it's just, yeah, I guess that way of thinking about how you can bring things together to not disadvantage one or maybe two things can't be, can't be combined. Um, but yeah, again, bringing things in like we're starting to get broadcast level graphics that, can help people see like everyone's watched match of the day and those pretty pictures that they draw that connect players up and things like that stuff like that does start to help and really bring your things to life and the 
some sports that may work well, some sports that may not. Um, and then I think the other thing that I've worked on that was quite interesting is actually going to the athlete side of things. We talk a lot about the kind of coaching, but it is about athletes as well. So one of the funny things I've played with in terms of dog fooding is making highlights of either myself or my teammates or my team in games. So we do have a highlight builder that for more serious athletes, they will use for their recruitment purposes or for scouting purposes. Um, but it's, it's accessible to anyone. So I can go and do kind of add some funny graphics, captions and things like that, but even still highlight what we've done in, in the games in, in different ways to make it stand out to my players and, Ultimately, if you're an analyst, you do want people to watch your video so you could spend hours breaking things down. But if you don't make it engaging and no one's watching it, then what was the point? So tracking. So it sounds a little bit like the, the player cam that they used to have on Sky Sports um, when they were starting to play with technology back uh, a few years ago in the Premier League. So is, is there a way of, of tracking that with the players? Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of... Um, cameras we actually build our own cameras now huddle focus that uh, get installed around in gyms and things like that so that yeah it, if you schedule when your games are coming in the camera will know when your games are starting it will start recording and then we've got machine learning that will then be able to kind of after the game or as it's going process where players are identify their jersey numbers because you've put the roster in you know which player is which um, jersey number and things like that. So, yeah, it, it's all coming in. I guess the, the funny thing with that, though, is how kind of films will make you believe that computers are going to take over the world and like, you've got Terminator coming to get you. But working in technology and under, noticing that if two people run past each other, a computer sometimes can't tell who is who anymore. Um, so you're pretty safe if something's coming after you just run past someone else. And that's what we have to work on these problems that you overcome that actually we, we as humans are sophisticated in knowing where a ball is, knowing where it's going to be, um, based on experience. And, and so, yeah, like the, the super clever people that I work with work in that kind of machine learning and, um, stuff. Um, but again, the, the other part of tracking we have is is actually players watching video and um, the stuff that the analysts have put together is kind of linking into the analysts. You, you have all their stats and things brought up, but then if, if players aren't watching that, then one, they're not going to improve because they're not learning. But two, you've got this poor analyst who's done all that work and no one's no one's done anything with it. So a project I worked on just recently was enabling coaches and analysts to go and pull those reports to say that we've set you your homework um this is what you need to be watching this is how much video you have and i, I do believe in some professional sports maybe rugby even part of players contracts will be to watch a certain amount of analysis in a period of time so again that sport's really getting on that yeah i believe so i think i'm speaking to uh, a, a keen rugby fan of, of mine, a friend of mine at, at work, he talked about Clive Woodward being one of the first coaches at an international level to give players their own room um, because they wanted them to have some downtime and have their own laptop. So they were able to actually do their own homework and do their own analysis and, and actually plan their own sort of, not, not fully training, but, but have more wider idea about what was going on with their game, with the team, with the opposition, with the player that they were marking or looking to tackle, et cetera. So, yeah, I, I think there's 
there's definitely an element of, of games sort of trying to sports trying to make players more responsible for their own um, involvement rather than just expecting a coach and an analyst to provide that information. Uh, that's fine and it's great, but actually, if you've got 16 or, or you know however many players in your squad all learning and all contributing, and it's and it's managed really well, you can get so much more out of a group than just having one person saying everything. exactly. And that collective kind of experience as well, saying people people see things differently. So sometimes someone might see something that somebody else hasn't, and being able to contribute that as a group suddenly really improves the sum of the parts. Definitely. And, and, it, and it even, I suppose, could even contribute to those situations where you've got players that do think very differently and come at it and potentially could have even friction between the two personalities, actually starting to realise that, to understand where that other person is coming from. So even on a social, emotional level, it helps to, to build uh, bridges between individuals and the team and strengthen that that cohesion on a on a human level not just a technological and understanding definitely I, I've seen that in hockey myself and I could come back to dog fooding when I've recorded some games and we've conceded a goal and shared it with the team um, and the 10 different opinions on how that goal was scored even though you're watching the same footage whose fault whose fault was it and um I mean, the, the interesting thing actually is a principle at Huddle we have that sport can definitely take out in teams is um, we do have a very big no-blame culture. So I remember I accidentally introduced a bug in one of my early days and we had to have a meeting called a root cause analysis to see um, why. And it, it was mm-hmm. pretty big. It was spotted by Man City. So <laughs> I think it's like, okay. <laughs> and um <laughs> So I, there I am, like, oh, I've just got my job, about to get fired. And we went in and just pointed out this, this isn't uh, whose fault was it. It's not a finger pointing exercise. We do an exercise called the five whys. So, and what you actually want to do is you, you ask why something happened and you ask why that happened and you drill into it. And actually what you often find is whoever kind of caused the issue, as it were, it probably wasn't their fault. And there's a greater thing. And my, my manager at the time, he gave a great example of he'd like re- relaxed me because he'd done something very similar at his time. But he pointed out that you could be in a situation where there's a big button in the middle of a room and people are walking around the room and someone trips over and falls and knocks that button. Now you could say it was their fault because they were near it or that they pressed it, they tripped over or whatever, but actually the, the reason was the button wasn't covered and it should have been covered. And then, actually uncovering that issue is what the cause of the problem was, not necessarily the person, because anybody could have stumbled over that. And I think, yeah, you get a lot more psychological safety in sports if teams can can talk without necessarily thinking, right, the finger's going to be pointed at me. Although sometimes it is someone's fault. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah but, yeah, but it's an interesting take, isn't it? That, it's a, that starts to put the collective focus on how do we solve the problem rather than who caused the error um and it and it becomes a collective learning you know we move together we celebrate the wins and we 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 sort of um commiserate the losses but it's collective and we all take responsibility for that um not to say that if yeah that there are not reasons for people not to be say selected or, or or things people not to be expected to improve um keep making the same mistakes over and over again, perhaps. But 
yeah, it's it's a, a mindset, like you said, probably is the key thing there, isn't it? And and how you approach the yeah, problem. Yeah, and I, I think with that as well, actually, it if you're not being blamed for something, one of the things I have noticed, even in teams, is people will then hold their hand up. Maybe some people do out of guilt, and it, it wasn't them, but it, it then just takes that kind of level off. It's easier for me to go, you know what, guys, sorry, hold my hands up. That was my fault. I know what cause that this is what we'll do and then people probably say no 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 it's not and then it'll be okay rather than the flip side of it was your fault and then I'm instantly defensive of no it wasn't even though I, I know it was but you don't like that kind of thing so yeah like you say it's it's doing things as a team but then learning as an individual of how you can change and that that's ultimately what you can do yeah and the de- depersonalization perhaps of, of the of the mistake is one of the elements there yeah as you say because if you get you know you did wrong or you're it's associated with you then that's where the emotional reaction comes from but if it's a a wider this happened as opposed to you did it then there's a disconnect and you can makes it easier for you to put your hand up and even better probably come back with a a solution because you're engaged and involved still to provide that and and perhaps even encouraged to do so as part of your learning so yeah it's an interesting one there um and in terms of how how you how you adapted it to, to the hockey, given that we are a happy hockey podcast. What are the things you've noticed with your uh, Richmond thirds? Um, I guess that kind of greater understanding of how people are, how people perceive things, like you said, um, a bit more cohesion. It's like you said, you get, you get the funny bits of it where people go and obviously pick out the hilarious dives that were nowhere near the ball or things like that, but it gets everyone together. But yeah, just, just a kind of a collective understanding of, ah, okay, here's what worked well. So not necessarily dwelling on the bad bits. Like these are things that we did really well. We looked really good here. Let's continue to do this. And yeah, just being able to see things is a lot easier than people's memory. So Yeah, and I suppose it also can help if there was a, 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 a an inconsistency in the memory. It helps to confirm what certain, within certain degrees, what did and did yes, happen. Yes, exactly. Accuracy is a lot. It's like it's plain as day. This is what happened. How, how it happened is is then subjective, but it removes some of that that subjectiveness. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the, the funny thing is actually it, it's it's not new though. We though is a video on YouTube of me scoring goal that I'm quite happy about. But it was because Wimbledon used to, years ago, take a GoPro and stick it on the, the corner of their goal. And they just uploaded it to YouTube. So effectively, Huddle's a, a different version of that. And I think kind of, well, one of, one of the things we're a- aiming to do is have a, effectively a global sports library so that all games that have been recorded and videoed etc are available in one place so that that then allows everybody to view different things it's a grand vision but I think that's where things are going and that you do want want to be able to access this and maybe if you're so in that Wimbledon example they recorded the game it was really useful for us to be able to access it and vice versa maybe if we recorded a game you want to be able to share and um things like the Premier League have that now and it's kind of trying to drill that down into more grassroots sports and other sports that it helps everyone if we can all share. Yeah, and I suppose the idea of Rob Blankson's goal being alongside the <laughs> Super Bowl final of 2021 or yeah. 2022. Yeah. And uh, again, actually, yeah, in terms of thirds, I think 
uh, we had we had the camera up from our, one of our games, and then our ones were playing straight after, and I was a bit slow getting the camera off, which is fine. But um, the opposition were warming up in in front of the goal where the camera was, and one of their junior players put in what was probably the best ever drag flick of his life, and suddenly turned to me and said, "Was that recording? Can I have it?" And I was like, "Yeah, if I can, if I can find it, it's yours." But the look on his face was hilarious. Oh, that's wonderful! Yeah, that that yeah, because it's interesting when you go to live sports games, perhaps less with the hockey stuff because it, that's less in a, a stadium. But I've noticed it much more with football. If you go along early and you watch the players warm up, you can see so much stuff, can't you, going on before a game on the pitch with their drills, their small little games, the goalkeepers warming up. There's so much there that you can take as a as a sort of a spectator that often gets missed from a if you're watching yeah. at home on the TV. So, yeah, and, and often those areas where you're perhaps less less um, pressurised because the fans aren't there is when you can really get focused on something as a player. No, that's really interesting as well. And, and, and in terms of, I suppose, the future, and, and you mentioned the, the, the global sports library and, and drilling down into more grassroots, what other things do you see sort of evolving in, in the sports analysis software? So definitely the greater use of... Um, machine learning to identify things I think we it is difficult to predict in terms of how it will go but yeah getting computers to do more and then more live transmission so I mentioned the cameras we have in the um that we put around in gyms and things like that so getting that more live streaming so we've had we had a very good kind of heart use case recently of the coach who contracted COVID ended up in hospital but because um, kind of the, the huddle focus cameras were there he was able to access the video later on because it had been recorded and I think actually it'll be it's going to become more of that live streaming like we all do like your Facebooks and Twitches and things like that and then building onto that so allowing your coaches to maybe do the analysis elsewhere or have um, kind of those stats brought in that say this player didn't perform as well because they were maybe fatigued because it's analysed their the amount of training load they've done or their game load. And it, it's just the marrying of all of those technologies. We did a, um, I believe Airbnb did the thought experiment. They called it the, the five-star or 10-star experience. And their concept is everything that you do now it's five star if an uber takes you home safely it's a five star if you go to an airbnb that you could get into it's a five star so five star is actually the baseline and what what we started trying to look mm. at was what six star up to ten star and kind of one of the, the silly ideas that we came with was athletes won't play the games they'll just get played for you on a computer because you know all the stats and things around how players will play and a simulation will become extremely lifelike and obviously that's kind of very far-fetched in terms of then you wouldn't need athletes. But I think in terms of how coaches can approach the game, they would they would have more information on opponents and their own players and see, right, if we do this, what would the potential be? If we do that, what would the potential be? Kind of running those simulations through there. Wow. Yeah, so you're almost starting to touch upon with that, like what the the great managers or coaches sort of can do which is can see how a player might evolve and develop perhaps a um 
Thierry Henry under Arsene Wenger is a great example of a, a winger who was made yeah. more of like an inside forward and how his game developed so much by Wenger just moving him slightly infield and with a slightly more direct route on goal, but actually played out for you for all players and for all managers and coaches and, and, and sports. Yeah, and it, it's exactly that, that you have people who play football manager and kind of that, that's been credited sometimes with players and their stats and things like that. But that, that is a company that Huddle, well, they're not, but a, a company Huddle recently bought is called Scout, and that's based in Italy. And their product is, is used massively in football. It's basically, I can't go and see the Senegalese second division, but if I want to scout players there, somebody needs to. And it's basically a library of, it's football at the moment, but the, the idea is to branch it out into other sports. But you can go and get all the stats, all the videos of pretty much every single football player around the world. And that's where then coaches can see, okay, this is the kind of player we're looking for. So, um, yeah, if a football team is looking for, right, we know our style of play is this. And there are a couple of Premier League teams whose entire mantra is, we know this is how we play our football. So we need a player who is mm. six or five, has X, Y, Z attributes. You can use Y Scout to go and find those and then start looking for them that way rather than just going, okay, where do we find the player? You already have the attributes. So that's a lot of where things can go as well and into other sports. Yes, no, that's amazing. So you can, yeah, you can sort of rule out probably a good 90% of the data or the players without actually having to go and watch them. You can narrow it down, which of course makes your life and your likelihood of success, because you yeah. can never guarantee it from a stat, but you, you know, you're, you're narrow, significantly narrowing your field and therefore increasing the chances of, of you having, choosing a, a, a great a, a player that does yeah. ultimately fit. Wow, that's, that's quite a... Kind of all from effectively something that was originally built as a pastime sort of um, yeah exactly computer game and well, we we have had some good um, we do have a lot of customer forums and when they break down the numbers it it really drives it home that they point out if you look at um, like your Man City of the world who can buy five players and have them on the bench and if they don't succeed whereas your teams who have just been promoted. Um, you can't afford to get it wrong because if you do, that's your entire transfer budget. And I know in hockey, we're quite lucky in that sense that we don't have to worry about things, but you, you wonder if it will ever go that way where hockey does have these big transfer fees. Hopefully we get become professional. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because at the moment with the, sort of the professionalisation, it, it almost... It does guarantee barring injury that the success of a player because they're especially if they're in the GB setup or they're, they're they're paid to play there's so few of the overall of the players that are that you make such a difference even um, on, a, on a physical level if your your job is to play hockey as opposed to someone that works uh, 30 40 hours a week and plays hockey there's an instant benefit um, but yeah it'll be interesting mm. to see what happens with hockey in that regard yeah Okay, and it, and in, I suppose just to, to therefore just to finish this bit with you in terms of you sort of yeah your your next sort of step. Where do you see Rob Blanks and senior engineer um, going? That's a difficult one. I think I've only just got the senior engineer at Huddle. The the gaps are ma 
but the gaps are massive okay um, i think compared to other places so yeah like it, it really is um kind of pushing and i think like yes the people i work with are super smart super talented and it, it's just growing my skills and i think i've always been quite good at because i like sports and i like technology kind of that customer side view of things so Whereas, yeah, surprisingly, a lot of engineers at Huddle have no interest in sport, which you'd always find interesting. But I think for me, it's keep pushing on um, going with the in the elite market, working on these new things that we are working on, adding them in. And then I guess, yeah, just it's becoming a better developer for me, other side projects and things like that. But yeah, get get as high as I can at Huddle and and help them achieve the, the, the ultimate goal, which is it's quite quite a grand vision, but if it comes off, it will be definitely something really intrinsically satisfying, thinking I've done that, I was a part of that, and look at what it's done for the sport as a whole. Yeah, well, that's brilliant. Um, but, and, in, and in terms of, I suppose one final question, actually, I'll just come back to I'd written down. So you mentioned the combined technologies in this wider sport as a whole. Do you see with your additional sort of software development, things like heart rate monitors like they use for England rugby players with those trackers on the back of their shirts and, and that sort of stuff? Also, Yeah, definitely. I think it? what it is, is a lot of places will focus on not necessarily like trying to do everything, but integrating more. So you kind of have the internet of things and how things talk to each other. So yeah, it's being yeah. able to then marry that data in. So one of the thought experiments we had was, right, we've got our video in. Now, how could I pull in that data? Maybe I don't have it, but it comes in from something else and make it possible to just overlay. And um, yeah, I cycle a little bit as well. And we already have those kind of the apps that will pull in your heart rate data and chuck it over things. So yeah, over video, there's no reason why not. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, so yeah, lots, as you said, a, a big step for you recently, but, but lots more to learn, but just, a, just almost like your world is your oyster, yep. technology-wise at the moment, definitely. Amazing. Okay, brilliant. Well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's leave it there for the, for the first half. Um, Rob, thank you very much indeed. I, I just thought, I'd, as a half-time break this week, I'd just sort of look at the idea of sort of getting back out and exploring this week. Um, with the restrictions, I know they've twice sort of uh, been relaxed in the last few weeks but the what happened on Monday was quite significant for everyone across the UK certainly um, and just therefore the idea of just getting out back out there and exploring there's an interesting article or podcast on the BBC website this week about how good for you an early morning walk is um, I've looked again at I was doing something for work on the idea of meditation and what it is it doesn't have to be you sat there uh, fingers out sort of humming um, sit still in silence is meditation in in any anything from a chore to playing sport uh, but also just that that opportunity to go and see friends and um, and talk to family members uh, even to the point of a, a friends reunion episode being filmed over in in America this last few months so just the opportunity to get back out there and exploring it doesn't just have to be physically but looking at stuff mentally and also emotionally with family and friends uh, sort of something I'd highlight to anyone listening this week. Um, 
but Rob, coming back to you and, and just starting the second half, it, it, we've talked and mentioned a few different sports in there. The fact that Huddle started with American football and the discrete element and then basketball, which is continuous, but perhaps very segmented in its, and especially the scoring system of going up and scoring and then another team scoring rather than the, the open free flow more so and how important a single score is in the game like rugby or football or hockey. You, you have been someone that, although have played hockey for a while, has um, got into to other sports. So the AFL was one that you've mentioned to me a couple of times over the years, but in particular in the summer. And I just thought that would be, you know, what 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 made you? Yeah, I think jump into um, that. As it were? Kind of, it, it was very random. So I've never played contact sport in my life. So picking up one of the, the <laughs> more aggressive contact right. sports. Um, into my mid thirties yeah. was a bit of a strange decision, some thought. But effectively, when I was at Thomson Reuters, we had an Australian guy join who I was really close friends with, and he started up tag rugby at Thomson Reuters as something to go through. And then, um, yeah, just one day he came up to me and said, "Oh, you look like you can run around. You can play quite sporty." We've got AFL London um, that I play. Yes. Okay, sounds interesting. Keep me out of trouble. Um, so in Aussie rules outside of Australia, especially in London, they're trying to grow the sport and get more people involved. And the way they do that is in the London league, they have a, what's known as the EU rule or the non-Australian rule. So an AFL team is 18 Mm -hmm. people on pitch plus six subs. Um, and in the London league, you must have six non-Australians on the pitch at any one time. So actually, there's quite a big drive in terms of recruitment and you could have the best Aussie players. But if you've then got six not great non-Aussies, you're, you're limited by a third in what you can do. So, yeah, the recruitment's quite big. There's a lot mm. going on. And so I went down, having never even watched an Aussie rules game. So I was reading the reading the rules on the train <laughs> on Wikipedia on the way there. <laughs> so I rocked up and said, I will... <laughs> all right, I'll play for your threes. Just let me know what I need to do. And I was immediately told, no, the threes are sorted in terms of EUs. So are the twos. You're in the ones. Watch 15 minutes and then on you go. Um, <laughs> so I was literally, exactly. I was thrown headfirst into this game. No idea what's going on. I somehow ended up with the ball within the first couple of minutes. Underneath a pile of bodies, whistle's gone. I'm trying to walk away, getting as far away as I can and learn that I've been fouled. And in AFL, you have to take the free kick if you are fouled. And I was within, well, <laughs> what for most people would be within range of the posts. For me, having never held this ball before, it wasn't. But suddenly the look on the sideline of this guy's just taken up the sport, touched the ball and is about to score a goal. <laughs> it was palpable. I, I didn't, I got a behind, so I did get a point. I didn't get the six. Um but just uh, so yeah, so there are four posts in Aussie rules, two down the middle, um, and two either side of them. If you get it through the middle two posts without it being touched, you get six points. If it gets touched, you get one point. If it goes in through either of the yep. outer two posts, you get a point. It's called a behind. So rather than a goal, I got a behind, but I will still take that for my first touch of the, the ball. But it was that kind of camaraderie and similarity to hockey that it reminded me of and how it's quite a family game so actually what happens is a person who fouls you then has to stand on a mark a bit like netball and so they can try and put you off they can jump around this guy had noticed like 
he was also English. I'd never played the game before, but he was actually coaching me on how to take the kick, despite me being in the opposition. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, it grew from there. There's a massive social scene in it, like hockey. So after the game, you get everyone back, all the other teams watch. So it reminded me very much of that and why I play hockey and why I've carried on doing it for so long is you, you make these friends for a long time and you, you have all these outside things as well. It's not just being on the pitch. And for me as well, I've always been busy. I've played hockey relatively late starting compared to others, but since I was 14, but that's pretty much every Saturday, every weekend, all the way through mm. uni um, has always been mm. busy. So it's just my routine. And it suddenly felt weird to me that in summer I, I personally felt a bit lost. I didn't need that break of not doing anything. I wanted to be active. And so it's, it, the seasons overlap quite nicely mm-hmm. and I finish hockey, go to AFL and providing no injuries, come back to hockey. Yes. And the other benefit of course, being that you're then doing an outside sport at a time of the year where you want to be outside. And yeah. Like the they, they have um, really good setups. You'll tend to have events going on. I mean, if, so if you, if you look at it, we've got, so we've got four to three men's teams and a women's team, but that's, 20, 25 odd players in a squad that you get down. Mm-hmm. So you've got a hundred people coming down to watch as um, for, for both teams. So you've kind of got potentially 200 people plus supporters. So there's barbecues, there's things like that. The atmosphere is very London summer, very party. And it's just that nice feeling really. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't, didn't realise that there were, of course, yeah, that many people, there would that be that, that many people in the squad, but it totally makes sense. And if, if you've got three or four teams and the opposition, that's a lot of people quite easily to, to have around. And, and so therefore, what, where, where do you play? Because they are traditionally played on Yes, they are. That's I think, how I think, the game kind of came about. They were trying to keep cricketers fit, which probably doesn't work now. I mean, and I'm not yes. sure I'd, I'd want my <laughs> cricketers being Don't smashed need. from behind or, a, or, or in a fully contested area of challenge. Um, <laughs> no. But yeah, so in London, there's the dedicated pitch. So London kind of has its franchises, which I've learned actually have a lot of history. So I played for the North London Lions and who are based in Bounds Green. So again, quite far from where I live, but really good club. And so Bounds Green, the Albert Road Rec Centre, there's kind of a green area there that's dedicated in summer, specifically for AFL. Um, And then Clapham. So the Wandsworth Demons play in Clapham Common. Again, that's strictly reserved during AFL season for games. So there's a massive area that's marked out. South London Giants play in, um, uh, I forget the pitch now, it's near a station. But yeah, again, in in South East London, it's marked out. You've got Shoreditch Swans, the Putney Magpies, Reading have a team, the Reading Roos. And so there, there are green spaces that are, I don't know if it's oh, wow. council or whoever, but like long-term kind of leases in games. So Chiswick's my closest club. I don't play for them, but they play down by uh, uh, one of the rugby clubs down there. And yeah, kind of linking it back into the video stuff as well. It it is really taken seriously. So I also have a video of me scoring a goal in AFL um, because one of the uh, quarterfinals we were in was live streamed back so people could watch it in Australia. And so that's all on YouTube. So they love their sports wow. over there and over here. That's that's amazing. No, brilliant. So yeah, so I mean, <laughs> next to a, a Super Bowl final 
Rob, you know, you're pretty much there, aren't you? Exactly. Uh, Aussie rules, hockey. Yeah, brilliant. And, and in terms of how there's the, the one major benefit of, of staying active and, and actually a very similar type of fitness, presumably, is to hockey because of that sprint um, stamina yeah. sort of expectation over a big area as well. It's not like it's a small um, sort of tennis court size area. But what, what are the other things that you've sort of found or learned or even been able to try? Yeah, I think it's um, kind of that, that organisational and situa- situational awareness of um, being aware of where people are, trying to see how a different game will evolve, but also how similar things can evolve. So you can see something going on in one part of the pitch, see where the space is and think, right, actually, we want to move the ball into the space and go through this way. Um, it can impr- It's a bit of improvement in most skills, a hand-eye coordination. Catching a ball is different to holding a hockey stick, but you still kind of got something that's not attached to you moving around. Um, and, yeah, I think the biggest thing, not going into contact. It, 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 it was very weird for me that um, having never played a contact sport at all, and hockey is relatively non-contact to trying to th- yeah in theory, hmm, in theory. <laughs> but to, to then optionally <laughs> throwing myself at somebody um yeah just kind of it, it, it increases confidence a little bit so coming back to hockey then putting yourself not where you shouldn't be but tackles at maybe 50 50 that you may not you it's it's that learning and understanding that you're often in most sports going to get hurt if you half commit to something so you you've got to go for something that you're confident about and knowing if it's worthwhile, like if I dive in here, what what's the outcome? Like if you if you dive into a challenge, maybe on the opposition twenty five, you've got seventy five to make up in hockey. Whereas it, if you're in a slightly more dangerous place, you're really looking to contain and move on. And similar in AFL, that because of the way that if you give away a free kick, someone can have a free shot at goal. You really need to be careful with where and how you commit your fouls. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, isn't it? Because um, I went down to a session last week, and, and the, the, the one of the players was getting this very much on a defensive perspective to actually be quite aggressive. And of course, when you haven't perhaps been on a pitch or played competitive sport for a while, actually your your tendency is perhaps to be slightly more passive, because unless you're naturally yeah. that sort of in someone's face style player, your 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 primary focus when you're defending is to stop the opposition scoring which therefore means getting past you but actually if you just follow them doesn't necessarily especially as you get to a higher level perhaps players will find will actually find weaknesses in that that lack of engagement so you you do have it is beneficial sometimes to be more aggressive but you've got to counter that with not diving in and committing fouls because you give away probably more so than just by shepherding so uh, that's really interesting um especially the the dynamic of, of where you do it on a pitch. Do, do you therefore, does it, is it, is it, is it by the rules allowed, but not possible to score from sort of your, your own goal ending? Oh, so you other? can, such a you big can area, score from right? absolutely anywhere. It depends how good your kick is. You, you do sometimes get freak goals where they're taken by the wind as well. But yeah, I think normally the, the furthest you'd score from is halfway because it's just too far to kick. But yeah, if the wind takes it and the ball rolls right. over, yeah. Like you kick it and it just keeps going and doesn't get touched, then yes, you, you could potentially score from the other, but it, it's highly unlikely because I don't think anyone could kick that far outside of well, yeah, Australia, even if they can. 
No. No, <laughs> no just to post in the they visibly only extend up a certain height, but conceptually extend right. up infinitely. So as long as it's between those two posts, whether it's physically between the two posts, doesn't matter. So if you kick it twenty meters above the top of the post space, but it would have been between the two, that still counts. And, and therefore, how does the scoring work? Because I do remember actually growing up watching some yeah. TV thing of the umpires and they do their sort of double hands very quickly down or one hand. But if you get six and one, is it, is it a combined overall score? Is it more like Gaelic where there's more points? You know, just the goals are actually... No, no, first so it, 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 it is combined. So, yeah, 10, 10 goals give you 60, 10 behind. You'd finish the game with six, six, 10 times six plus 10 times one. So you'd have 70 points and... Um, yeah, it's just a combined points. You could feasibly win a game completely on behind and the other team only score one goal. It'd be quite difficult and frustrating, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. So that's, yeah, that's how the scoring works. Um, and, and also actually something interesting you alluded to. So uh, unlike rugby, um, union, well, where it's contested, and, and even in league, where it's, I don't think it, apart from the initial rip, once there's more than one defender involved, you can't um, rip the ball. It's uncontested. So, whereas in what you what you said to me in AFL earlier on in the week was, if you go in as the attacker with the ball and get tackled, you give the ball, you, the, yeah, there's so a foul against you, and you give the ball you, away. Is that right? Basically, in Montreal, you have the ball. If I've just been given it, I have kind of this period of time that I could have disposed of the ball I think it's like yeah I, I can uh, kick it or I can hand pass it out to somebody else if I've opted not to take that time and you as a defender are there and I decide to take you on if I don't then incorrectly if I don't correctly dispose of the ball after taking you on it's a foul and the defender then gets handed the ball they get a free kick and I have to as I mentioned before, stand on that mark. I can't approach them until they've then, then played. So it is discouraged if, to take people on if you're, if you're going to get tackled. I mean, in the, in the tackle, if you can correctly dispose of the ball, it's fine. You can carry on. Or if you had no prior opportunity, so someone's thrown you a hospital pass and you've literally had half a second before someone's crashed into you, then it's just a ball up like in basketball. Two people yeah. nominated, ball gets thrown up. But yeah, if I've decided to take someone on, gone on a bit of a run, and then somebody tackles me, wraps up my arms so that I can't pass it off or drop it onto my feet, then you will hear the shout, ball! <laughs> You'll often hear it, and that, that's what it means. It's the, the, the fence shouting for a free kick. Okay, and well, what constitutes... Um disposing of the ball within the rules then what what are your options when you say so be a hand pass on, so you, you have to have them. the ball kind of effectively flat in one hand and you punch it with your hand out to somebody else or or into space if you wanted to or you kick it right so if you you can't drop the ball either so if you drop it if you go for a kick and then you miss it with your foot it doesn't hit your leg at all you've dropped the ball you can't drop it so correct disposals the kick and the, the hand pass So you've got to do something with the ball, but it doesn't necessarily have to either stay in the air without hitting the ground or even get to directly no. to one of your own 
teammates initially presumably it would do because uh, possibly you could be tackled in space for right. example and taking you um, to the ground whilst you're on the ground you've managed to just punch the ball out into a bit of space and then there's another melee somewhere because other people are running in that would still be okay but yeah if someone's tackling you to yeah. the ground and you can't get rid of it yeah yeah it's bad it's interesting so it very much promotes the idea of of actually decision making of taking someone on but also not not just that but if you can't what you do with it rather than just aimlessly running at someone and hopefully yeah. you can just bulldoze them and you get tackled and turn over it's interesting yeah okay and in, and in and in terms of um the, the the main differences what challenges do you find sort of going between uh, the definitely the mindset of season? i've never played contact sport so the first couple of games are difficult in terms of i will yeah have that standoffish thing of like I can't fully go into someone because in hockey it would be a foul and same coming back like a little bit more wound up maybe coming into to, to hockey I need to calm myself back down to the normal player <laughs> I am um, and then the fitness is mostly there but there is just you'll always get that doms in terms of the, the position AFL is more stood up and all the, it's a longer game it's 100 minutes in the ones but you get quarters okay. um 25 minutes, a bit right. of a break in between. You have water carriers coming on, bringing the ball in at any time, bringing the water on at any time. So if the play's up the other end and you're looking thirsty, someone can run on and bring you a drink. Whereas hockey, obviously, you need to stay hydrated, get the rolling subs in. Um, but yeah, the, the fitness levels, yeah. you can be in the game for a while, still around not doing too much. And it's so far away that you get a bit more of a rest sometimes. Whereas hockey, you're, you're constantly in it constantly going um but the rolling subs helps but otherwise mm. yeah it's just a, it's good to keep fitness keep moving and yes yeah doing something is infinitely better than nothing isn't it that's especially with a game that's similar sort of um out running and, and competing in that regard there's always going to be an element of sprint stamina even if it's not as you say yeah quite as I've, I've managed to convert one other person from my hockey club so, who played a couple of seasons yeah. which was good the others are a bit too oh, concerned brilliant. about their physical well-being <laughs> uh, fair enough well I mean it is definitely a consideration having watched a couple of um lo ru local rugby games a few years ago when I had a break it was uh, <laughs> Oh, hearing the sound was was enough for me but uh, yeah not for the faint-hearted but, but but fair enough good on you for for doing something uh, sort of contact wise and, and in terms of the um uh, the, the game you sort of alluded to playing in different areas so obviously in, in the game of hockey perhaps the pitch is well is quite a bit smaller and therefore um the button with the ball moving so quickly being back and playing as a unit is 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 very important. What what sort of formations do you play, or, or how does yeah, that? Yeah, so it, it's of, effectively, you know, and I'm probably doing work. a disservice now, but in six six lines of three almost. So you'll have your forwards, oh, right. your okay. half forwards, your midfielders, and then that that all gets a bit messy as far as I'm aware because you've got the ruck and the on ballers and wingers around there in the middle, and then you've got your half backs and your backs, and so it, it kind of yeah works along that way in that you'll have your three. So if you take your forward, you'll generally have kind of a big, tall target man and then maybe some smaller crummers. So that's where you might put one of your EUs, as it were. So the aim, the, the 
center forward will be the person who's the best marker, jumps the highest, can grab the ball in contest and they'll be aimed for. And then if they can't get it, you'll have the other people around who are kind of watching mm-hmm. to kind of come in slightly quicker, sprightlier players who, if the ball comes down to ground, are in on it quickly, getting it and then taking the kind of go from there. And then in, so when there's a ball up, you have the ruck, and as they were, they're, they're kind of people who are going to jump for the ball. So you have two people go through, they, the ball goes up, you try and hit it mm-hmm. to your players around and then it's a bit of a melee until it gets spread out. And then after that, yeah, it's, it's, it's not too dissimilar to, I guess, hockey in terms of you have your forwards, your midfields and your backs. And when you, ha- you, when you have a break, you will split into that. So every quarter mm. you'll have maybe a very quick team talk and then you'll split into your groups and the forwards will go over and discuss what the forwards do and the defenders will do. And unlike hockey where I may as a forward have come all the way back to, to channel my player, it's, it's rare that I've seen that you run the length of the pitch and, and so you could go a whole game if you're solely a forward without ever seeing your defence and vice versa. Unlike hockey. Yeah, so that's interesting. So yeah, because of like, if you sprint that that far, you're exactly. done for the next five, ten minutes anyway, aren't yeah. you? Because that's a hell of a long way. Um, yeah. But also the idea that actually the yes, the wider team talk is one thing, but actually you, it's very difficult, I would imagine, to have 18 or 20, yeah. 25 people all needing to have the same message. Um, whereas five or six, yeah, there's probably different four or five different messages that need to be sort of discussed or ideas that need to be discussed. So it makes sense to break mm. into the into the focus groups, as it were. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, and in and in, I suppose just to. to another question let's finish off the, the, the how you play or where you play is it but it's like hockey and football in that you can go anywhere yeah you can completely go anywhere there's a big square in the middle of the pitch that at the start of the game it's a limited number of people who are in there but once the ball's been played then everyone can go in you can go right you go anywhere you want yeah and um yeah yeah it's very similar it's i think the, the only other sort of thing we have is but I guess it's because I'm newer to the sport is that I've played in a number of positions I wouldn't ever be near the ruck but I have played forward I've played defence I've played midfield um, so the rolling subs because of injuries and things like that you can end up somewhere completely alien whereas unlike hockey even though we have rolling subs it's rare that you would suddenly have to put your centre forward sub in the middle of defence <laughs> you'd probably rejig somehow but that could happen. <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, uh, and, no. But, and, but also offsides. no offsides. No, two two umpires still though. So not like, similar to hockey. It is big enough and enough going on that you need two people who are officiating the game. And. And no, no, now they're, they're very much in. Um, the very, but they look like they're wearing kit. No. Oh, right. Ah, fair enough. Oh. Cool. So, yeah, so you've sort of evolved your summers as into that, um, but you've also sort of done a bit of, bit of um, a snow sports in the, in, yeah, in the winter, I, um, sort of off-season so I, I think as well. My first ever trip, I did one at school in sixth form. I did one at university, which was a ridiculous amount of travelling because I, we'd been to Dublin, 
Pator in second year, where I believe we'd taken the ferry. And so I'd gone on mm-hmm. hockey tour, come back, literally got off the ferry oh. and got on a coach over to Le Des Alpes in France. So that was my second ever trip. Uh, loved the snow then. Um, went then after graduating, discovered this company that was set up in France called UCPA. That's like a non-profit organization that was encouraged to get French um, youth into sport, but they, they had enough spaces. So they branched out to advertising in the UK and it was brilliant. It was super cheap, all included lessons, food, accommodations, equipment, lift pass. Um, so I did that uh, basically from 2005 and I've been every season bar because of COVID this season. So um, I spent six months out in Canada as an instructor. So that came off the back of, again, hockey, post a hockey match with at Richmond, but a guy I knew from uni who I'd got down to Richmond called Rog. We were driving back from a game and we were discussing snow and he'd mentioned he was considering doing a season. And we kind of formulated off the back of that that we were going to kind of do a chalet couple type gig in Europe um, for whatever reasons that didn't happen but we both ended up in Canada him and Whistler and me and Banff um doing seasons and yeah it's kind of carried on from there that it's it's something that I've enjoyed like with hockey I coach and umpire hockey with snow sports I've got my level one and level two and my park qualification in snowboarding and I taught some skiing as well so just my personality I like to to do that get that extra analysis in terms of a sport and and understand it there I go quite um quite deep into it as well I've done heli I've done cat we're planning a, a group trip with me and some friends to Alaska for our 40th if we can so yeah I, I like taking things to the next level if I can and that sounds oh. sounds amazing Sorry. oh heli so heli you mentioned heli and cat no so way you was... literally yeah you get taken up in a helicopter oh, right, okay. somewhere that hasn't um, yeah. hasn't been touched, hopefully. And you, you go out there and cat skiing is very similar, but rather than a helicopter, it's a modifier. So if you imagine the piece bashes at the end of the day, the things that can get up ridiculous angles and make the piece really nice. They're modified versions of those um, that you get in and rather mm. than flying you up somewhere, it drives you up somewhere in some backcountry terrain. You get a guide and the guide will take you through around and you'll do X number of laps accordingly. But yes, yeah, a little bit more than um, just your normal going up a chairlift, coming back down with a million other people around. <laughs> wow. No. So yeah, just, just <laughs> I like my sport. Then, not much sort of going on. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't have guessed it from listening to you, Rob. Yeah, no, no, fantastic. And and in terms of just the qualifications on that, you mentioned sort of level one, two. How does it work with with getting jobs and being able to actually be an instructor? When I looked into it, there was a company that offered kind of an all-in. So it was like a gap year scheme that you apply to them. They will set up your accommodation. They liaise with a mountain to then kind of guarantee you a job. So you, you arrive, you do your training. So you'll go through your level yeah. one, which um, is not not too difficult if you've got some kind of experience in snow sports. Uh, you get your coaching, you do some shadowing, and you start picking up the lessons. Um, so you're 
you'll start with the bunny hill lessons and discovery so people who have never never done any snowboarding and basically teaching them again and then with level two it, it is then quite a jump so that's being able to then really progress people going up to more um advanced terrain and it goes there are four levels in canada so i have my canadian qualification um the park qualification again is just introducing people to being safe within a park on features so jump jumps um rails things like that and mm-hmm. and yeah so you 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 do your training you go through an exam which they're quite long there they can be a couple two or three days um where you're being assessed by an instructor you go around as a group all doing different activities and you're you're monitored assessed mm-hmm. and, and passed or failed from there And that's when you park that snow park, isn't it? Like you see at uh, yeah, the so, Olympic event, isn't there? You down yeah, the park is kind of split. Stuff, you, you right? have a big, so it's, it's the, the difference the... between free ski, well, yeah, free ski and free ride if we're using skiing terminologies. But yeah, like, yeah, no, but so free ride is like the more yeah. out and sorry, and then yeah. you've got big air um, and and kind of, yeah, big air is where they go to massive jumps, do some tricks there. And yeah, but then you get free ride as well, which is kind of big mountains, people doing tricks off more natural terrain then you kind of get into racing and things like that but yeah brilliant wow so yeah so a hockey player but that's got managed to find a dream job uh, in coding sports games that spends his summer yeah, playing like AFL that. and his winters <laughs> snowboarding <laughs> wow okay so um, if we, it sounds fantastic and it's, it's been great to have you on. I just, as a, as a final thing, Rob, as I tend to ask with everyone that comes on, if, I, we've talked about a lot of different things, but to anyone out there listening, what would be your, your three key takeaways, as it were? I appreciate that it might be one from each or, or a, a mishmash of the three, to, three or four things um, together. But, but what, I guess what so in yours? terms of the, the job, it's, yeah, if you, if you can look for something that you really enjoy, obviously it's easy yep. for me to say that now, but um, yeah, just kind of, I know a lot of people sometimes struggle with what they want to do, but you do hear these stories of people kind of working a job they didn't like and ending up finding their passion elsewhere that um, doing things in your own time to help you kind of maybe identify that is quite good. So I, I did side projects and that's eventually ended up with me getting there, but yeah, not not rushing it, not thinking you have to get there immediately hopefully you'll end up end up there if you stick with something um i think that's kind of similar with the hockey as well so like i said i've been playing it uh, since i was 14 i've done it ever since and because of it it's led me into to other things so again just kind of seeing where things take you and you'll be presented with opportunities that you didn't always realize um that that will come up and see where they they take things and I think the final ones are actually the kind of friendship that sport brings, especially hockey. Like we mentioned, we've we caught up quite recently and like we've known each other for a long time. We've done tours, we've been to the Olympics, things like that. I mentioned I'd got a hockey friend who I brought over to AFL. I started snowboarding because of a hockey friend and I, I just think sport and friendships are, are so important and can really just yeah Im- improve your life in so many ways keep keep those friends yeah no, that, i think that's a really useful sorry i know we talked about a lot but it's a really good 
sort of three things there. So you're effectively sort of take it, take your time with what you do, um, but sort of keep an open mind for the opportunities yep. that are out there. Would that be a fair summary of what you're coming to back to? And then, yeah, as you say, the, the friendships that you can gain from sport. Um, I mean, sadly, <laughs> we weren't playing in the Olympics, were we, you and I, or, or the, the friends that we went with, but we, we certainly went to watch and have been to Olympic Park uh, since with the um, uh, Lee Valley, as it's called, England Hockey's base there but um no it's it's great i think that's a really uh, really important and, and powerful summary there of, of what you've done so uh, thank you very much rob so our guest today has been rob blankson he's senior engineer for huddle a uh, sports software um engineering company breaking down games for the likes of manchester city uh, and football and, and american football and we've been talking to him about his journey through becoming an electronic engineer, a student at university through coding uh, and getting to his role currently with Huddle after working for uh, uh, Deloitte and, and, K and uh, PwC, amongst others, in terms of the coding tax software. Uh, the half time this week was for me about just exploring things now that the regulations have started to ease and restrictions of COVID, sort of getting it back out there, going for a morning walk, um, thinking about what you can do to help your your mind with perhaps meditation going beyond just the idea of just sitting down and, and humming and staying quiet and, and also just getting back in touch with friends and family now that we can. And then the second half was talking to Rob about his wonderful uh, sort of foray into AFL, um, some great stuff about, about the London League and, and the franchises and how long they've been going and, and what you can get in the summer and just alternatives to, to hockey to give you a break and something different both in the summer with things like AFL and, and then in the winter with with the snow sports um, and Rob leaving us with his three key takeaways of taking your time when it comes to a career uh, and doing stuff in your own time and just finding what you enjoy doing and trying to make it, a, turn it into your ideal job, but also staying open, keeping an open mind to the opportunities that what you do, even if you're not exactly on the thing that you want to do, staying open-minded to the opportunities that are out there because um, something will find you. And, and just for, finally, just the friendships that, that sport brings both in terms of starting new things, getting into new things and, and just going and getting involved in stuff, both as a spectator, as well as a, as a player, uh, coach and umpire. So um, Rob, thank Thanks you very much on. indeed for coming on today. That's all right. It's been an absolute pleasure. Great to, 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 to catch up and, and get, uh, spend some time with you again. Um, thank you to everyone out there for listening and a bigger wider thank you to anyone out there who hasn't listened so far, but, um, has been involved and made Happy Hockey uh, the journey that it is to date. Um, my name is Peter Thomas, and I'll leave it there for this week. See you all next week.